This is going to be a, so my name is Michael Barris. I'm a senior database engineer for the Amazon Relational Database Service. And with me I have Kathy Gibbs, who is a senior database specialist solutions architect with AWS. And we're going to be talking about some, uh, some key use cases that our customers use with RDS Oracle and some, uh, some new features that we've come out in the past year to, uh, to help customers get more benefit out of those. So thanks again for being here. Um, just uh, we are towards the end of the week of reInvent. Glad to see you all survived it so far. Uh, the big parties tonight. Thankfully, I'm not right before that. I hate when I get the, uh, the last session on Thursday, but uh, we do still have a little bit more content left today. There's a couple repeats left of one of our builder session. This is kind of a few of you on one with one of our database engineers. Um, and then we also have a workshop uh, starting just kind of after this session on uh, migrating to Aurora Postgres. So what we're gonna be talking about today is, uh, again, I'm gonna take a, take a look at four key areas uh, where our customers have a lot of important use cases and areas where we've um, uh, come out with new features. And then Kathy's gonna take you through a demo of monitoring performance with RDS Oracle, kind of help you understand what you can do, how you can leverage the, 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 the ways, that, the methodologies that you've been working with as DBAs for years and use those with RDS Oracle. Um, one thing I want to add that's not on the agenda, um, just real quick, is, is anyone using the um, SSL for uh, encrypting connections to RDS Oracle or any RDS engine? Um, great, a few of you, not, not a lot. Um, do be aware, uh, the SSL certificates used for, those, those, um, uh, for RDS instances last for five years. The 2015 CA expiration is coming up in March. So we do have a new certificate authority. You need to get new certificates in your client wallets. Get your, get your RDS instances updated to use those new CAs. So um, I'm not gonna go into depth on how to do that, but make sure that, that you know what I'm talking about. Make sure it's on your radar. If it's not, make sure you're getting emails from us and check our documentation on SSL certificate rotation. Um, otherwise, let's go ahead and, and then take it. I'm, I'm not gonna go into depth on um, RDS as a service. So this is a 300 level session, so we're gonna go pretty deep. So I'm gonna assume that you know kind of what RDS is, but just as a quick refresher, RDS is a managed service where we take the building blocks of AWS infrastructure services and we provide you an audit, a, a, a fully managed database experience where um, instead of having to put together servers and storage and install software and upgrade operating systems and do the work that you're used to doing yourself, we take that undifferentiated heavy lifting and, and build automation that does that for you. So the way that I like to think of RDS is it's, it's automation software that does infrastructure DBA tasks. So kind of at the bottom here, this, this layer is, is really what RDS is. And when you, when you make an API call to create a database instance or click a few buttons in our GUI, what we're gonna do is we're gonna to do all the work of allocating EC2 instances, um, create EBS volumes, put them all together, run some database software, start up a database listener, and then let you and your applications connect to the database. And, and kind of your route into the database is through this database listener endpoint. So you don't have access to the host infrastructure, you don't have, have access to the operating system or the storage, you're not worrying about uh, replacing things yourself or upgrading things yourself, we do that for you. But you do everything through the database listener and, and once you're inside the database, it's your database. If you need high availability, we have push button high availability with multi-AZ, you just enable the multi-AZ option on your instance. And our automation does all the work of setting up a, an identical copy of that same infrastructure in another physically separate um, facility, another availability zone. We'll set up synchronous physical replication and then we'll monitor that infrastructure and automatically fail over and recover from any, any sort of outages that you encounter. Again, obviously backups are pretty important. So, so also with the RDS service, you don't have to worry about backing up your database, making sure backup's completed, troubleshooting why our man didn't finish doing something. Just enable backup, set backup retention, and we'll automatically back up your database. So kind of at a snapshot, a quick high, high overview level. That, this is the way I like to think of RDS. It's automation software running your infrastructure. So let's take a quick look at, at, at the first use case. So, so obviously, loading data into your instance is, is an important part of, of, of what we need to do as Oracle DBA. So we see a lot of net new development going against some of the open source database engines, Postgres and MySQL. But we see a lot of Oracle customers coming with existing workloads on premises they need to bring into the cloud. And so, so how do you get access to that? So our goal here is to load large amounts of data in, into the system. We support up to 64 terabytes on instances today. So you're probably bringing some of these pretty big workloads today. Again, you don't have access to the host operating system or underlying infrastructure, so some of the ways you might be used to doing this would be just SSH to the host, maybe copy files around, attach to share storage, and without direct access to the infrastructure, you don't have the ability to do this. So what are kind of some of the other ways? Well, again, you're going through that database listener, um, you're, you're going through the database, you're using PL SQL, you're using clients to get there. So first let me talk about storage and how this works with RDS. So the kind of the nice thing about RDS is you just tell us you want some amount of storage we put that together for you. So you say, you create an instance, say I want a terabyte of storage, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna create a, a terabyte logical volume, 
And underneath that, there might be one physical volume, there might be four physical EBS volumes, there might be multiple. We don't actually publish exactly how many there will because it's, it is going to vary based on a few different dimensions. Um, but you, you can actually figure this out by enabling enhanced monitoring in our service, and you can see per device metrics to see how many EBS volumes you have. Not really something you need to worry about because, again, it's just kind of automatically managed by the service. But you have this one big storage area. The, the, the traditional database files that you expect to exist all exist in this one area. So your data files, your online redo logs, your control files. If you're running in archive log mode, your archive redo logs are going to be there, and we're going to talk about how archive redo log is, is, is managed in a second. Database is running. It's creating trace files. It's creating audit and logs. Those are going to go into the automatic diagnostic repository. So all these files from the instance, again, you don't have access to the infrastructures. How do you get to this? Well, usually the key way is, is, is the enabler here is, is Oracle database directory objects. So again, PLSQL inside the database using those directory objects. By default, when you create an RDS Oracle instance, you're going to get a few directories. So you're going to have the A dump and B dump directories. These are how you access audit and trace files, respectively. You also have the data pumper, and this is just a, a place on the, on the storage system where you can put files that you're going to load via data pump. Could be external tables files, could be pretty much any file that you decide to write to the file system. They can go to that data pump directory. You can also create additional directories to, to store those files if you want. There's a couple on-demand directories you can create through our, through our automation. So you call the PLSQL API, and you can create online logger and archive logger. And this is what gives you PLSQL read-only access directly to your online and, and archive reading logs. And this is really helpful if you're doing logical replication, if you have Golden Gate, Shareplex, DMS, something that needs to come in and read directly from those bytes in the log files, maybe not using the log miner APIs, but directly consuming those, those raw log files. Um, so these, these directories give you access to that. And then, and then, like I mentioned, you can create custom directories. So the key here is you, just, uh, you call a PLSQL function. You tell us what the directory should be named. We'll put it on the right place in the file system to make sure it's backed up. But um, it's all part of this one big shared storage area, so you do have to keep an eye as you load data, unload data, make sure that you know how much space you have. If you have a terabyte of space, you, know, it, it, you can't just put a terabyte of, of dump file in there. You have to make sure you manage that. I mentioned before multi-AZ, so when you click that button, you get multi-AZ replication, synchronous physical replication to another availability zone, and this is the unit of replication. So when you, every, every physical write to the file system, actually under, the blocks underneath the file system are going to be replicated um, to the multi-AZ secondary. And that means that if you load a bunch of data pump files on your instance, do a failover, they're going to be present on the other side because we're replicating all the storage. It's also the unit of snapshots. So when you take backups of your instance, we're taking a snapshot of this entire logical volume, we're storing that in S3, and then when you restore an instance from Snapshot, we're just restoring everything that was in that on those volumes. So, so again, if if you load a bunch of data pump files or create some external tables, take a snapshot of that, restore that snapshot, it's going to have all those things in the file system that you're expecting to be there. So, good kind of to just kind of picture the the, the logical storage um, and have an idea for how this works, um, because we're going to need to watch it, we're going to need to monitor it, we're going to need to scale it as it as it fills up. So. Um, let's talk about redo logs for a second. So one of the nice things about um, RDS is we manage this for you as well. And as, as in Oracle DBA, you know, hot workloads, you're generating a lot of redo, and that's something that you have to manage. With RDS, we handle that for you automatically. So the simplest case here is when you're running in no archive log mode. If you, if you set your automated backup retention to zero days, we're going to bounce your database into no archive log mode, and you don't have to worry about any of this. You're just rotating circularly through those online redo logs. But hopefully you're not running in that mode for you know, more than just a data load. Uh, once you enable automated backups, we're going to put your database in archive log mode. We're going to take nightly snapshots of your instance. And as you, as you switch through the online redo logs, we're going to archive those. So in this case, we switched to online log sequence 121. Archiver process is going to backup log sequence 120 to the, inst to the archive log dest 1 now. And our automation is going to come sweep in, back that up to S3, and then it's going to delete it. So the default retention for redo logs on your instance is zero hours. And that means that as soon as they're backed up, we free them up. And that's, again, kind of nice because if you have one of those hot workloads, you don't have to worry about filling up storage with archive redo logs. So again, as we keep rotating through the online log sequence, we're going to back those, we're going to archive them, we're going to back them up, and we're going to delete them. So like I mentioned before, perhaps you want to use Golden Gate, Shareplex, DMS, one of those replication technologies to use these redo logs. Well, you probably need to keep the redo logs around long enough to actually consume those. Um, so we do give you a PLSQL procedure you can call as part of our RDS admin um, administrative schema inside the database. And you can set the log retention in hours. So for example, if I'm going to use Golden Gate, probably I want 24 hours of reading logs available on the instance. And it's not a time machine, so, so when you enable this, it, it's not going to go pull logs back from history. Um, but going forward, the retention's going to be managed. So, so as I start continue uh, rotating through these online reading logs, I'm going to archive them, I'm going to back them up, I'm going to leave them in place. 
And so you're, you're gonna start building up retention on the instance itself. Um, so you end up, important to understand, you end up with two retentions here. You end up with the on-host retention. These are gonna consume space in that big logical storage area. So if you have 24 hours retention, that's 24 hours of redo activity. That might be a terabyte itself, so you need to keep an eye on that. Secondarily, you have retention in S3. And so you don't have direct access to these in S3, but the way these are used um, is part of your automated backup retention window. And so when you, when you set automated backup retention to let's say seven days, you can, any second in that period, you can go back and, and request a point in time restore. And what we'll do is we'll restore a snapshot and roll forward with those redo logs. So let's talk about scaling that storage. So I've provisioned a terabyte of storage, but at some point I'm gonna fill that hopefully. You're, you've got databases that are doing work, they're generating data. Um, you've got important things happening there. So, so let's talk about how, how we, we scale that. With RDS, we also make that pretty nice and easy. You just make a modify a DB instance call and we make the storage bigger. We are based on Amazon EBS elastic volumes. And that means that we simply take the underlying physical volumes, we tell them to grow, and that takes a few seconds. And then once that's done, we extend our logical volume, we extend our file system, and now you have that two terabytes available to you. you want to keep growing? Keep growing as high as 64 terabytes today. Important thing to be aware of, though, is that because we are based on, on EBS elastic volumes, they do uh, put kind of a rate limit on here to make sure that, that you're not constantly increasing these things at a really fast rate. Um, so there's a, there's a minimum six hour cool off between scale operations that's important to be aware of. And really what that is, is we're able to transparently just increase these volumes. It looks a little bit like magic. Um, they just grow automatically and everything's good. But under the covers, we're actually moving around some data in the EBS system. So if you request too frequently, that's gonna kind of overwhelm the resources available there. So today the six hour windows is, is what you have to kind of abide by. You can also change IOPS. So with the same API call, if you're using our provisioned IOPS storage, perhaps um, you have a big sale coming up this weekend and you wanna go from 10,000 IOPS to 20,000 IOPS. Again, this is an online call. It doesn't take any performance impact on your system. You just tell us that you wanna to go to 20,000 IOPS and we'll, we'll make that 20,000 IOPS. And today we, we support up to 80,000 IOPS with our RDS for Oracle instances. Again, you still have that six hour cooldown period between, uh, between these. It's at least six hours, so maybe on a really, really large instance, if you have 60 terabytes of data, perhaps it takes a little bit longer there. You'll see in the console uh, what state you're in after you've made a storage change and, and whether you're able to make a next storage change. So the key thing there you know, with a six hour window is if you're growing fast, if you're at one terabyte and you're about to fill that up, Maybe don't add you know, 10 gigabytes. Maybe add 100 gigabytes or another terabyte or whatever you need. Make sure you have enough space added to it to cover that, one ter that, that six hour window that you're running into. We also launched a new feature this year to help with this called um, RDS Storage Auto Scaling. And with this, you don't have to make the API call at all. You just tell us how much storage you want, what your upper limit for storage is, and when your instance gets to 90% full for more than five minutes, so if you have a dump file get created or something and it fills up space really briefly and comes back down. You know, we'll give five minutes to make sure you really are using that space. We'll automatically make that call and scale you by currently 12%. So either five gigs or 12% for you know, a really small instance, it might be five gigs. Uh, for larger instances, it's gonna be 12% of instant storage. Fill it up to 90% again, we're gonna scale you up by 12% again. And again, this does need to abide by that six hour cooldown period. So how do we get data into this storage? So obviously through the client, through the database, your application is writing to the database, it's doing DML, that's gonna work. But, but we, we, when we wanna get data in in bulk, we've added a new feature this year called Amazon, uh, the, the S3 integration option for RDS Oracle. And really what this is doing is it's just building the, the automation to allow us to, to do on your behalf AWS SDK um, S3 copy from S3 to your instance and then once it's on the instance, on that big pile of instance storage, you're able to consume it either through data pump, external tables, PLSQL, whatever you want to use. Installation's pretty straightforward. You simply create a policy in, I, in AWS IAM that gives privileges to access that bucket. You create an IAM role that con contains that policy. You attach that role to your instance, and then you add the S3 integration option. So this is all covered in our documentation. Um, pretty straightforward, it's a one-time setup. And once it's there, now you have a PLSQL procedure in the database that can shuttle files back and forth between S3 buckets and your instance storage. So, you know, when we look at loading data, there's kind of classically a couple ways to do this. Traditionally, it was all remote. So you had your legacy imp client, you have your SQL loader, SQL developer. That's a client that's far away from the database. It can read data local to that client and then send it across to the database. But that was a little bit inefficient. So in 10G, Oracle came up with data pump. 
with Data Pump, the file has to be stored locally to the instance. And when you run the, the Data Pump API, whether that's running through PLSQL on the instance or through the MTP client, which can run from anywhere that can connect to the instance, the actual load is going to happen local to the, local to the instance. So the way this works with the new S3 integration option is you have those, those dump files that you've copied to S3. You run our RDS admin S3 tasks procedure. We'll automatically copy those over from your bucket as quickly as we can to your instance. And now you can use Data Pump or, again, external tables or whatever you want to consume those files into the database. Certainly, you can still use the remote client option. So if you have SQL Loader, if you want to use that for maybe smaller amounts of data, that certainly works. The, the big drawbacks to that are just that it's going to be a little bit more restricted of, restrictive in terms of data types. Um, and it's going to be a little bit slower because, again, it's consuming data local to that client and sending it in round trips across the network. For us, it's very important that, that customers be able to load data in and unload data out. We don't know what you're doing with your data, what's important to you, so we want to make sure that that's a fully symmetric relationship. So all this works in reverse. If you want to get data out of your instance, bring it back to other RDS Oracle instances, bring it back to on-premises. If you want to use PLSQL to write a, 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 a file to the file system in Parquet format with your data, send that to S3 and consume it with Spectrum or Redshift, you can do that with this option as well. So all, all this works in reverse using the same tools. So let's talk about scaling reads. This is also an important use case for customers because most OLTP applications need more reads than writes. So if you picture your kind of e-commerce application, I create my account once, I update my address maybe a few times, I buy a few things here and there, hopefully a lot, right? Um, but I'm, I'm viewing product de detail pages, I'm refreshing my cart, I'm doing a lot more reads than I'm doing writes. So um, at some point you run into infrastructure limits and each EC2 instance type can only drive so much throughput to EBS. So um, at some point, you're going to see this flat line in your graph. It's a place that you really don't want to be. So this is, for example, a 4XL instance that has that 625 megabytes of throughput, um, aggregate read and write throughput to EBS. And what happens here is, as, as you hit this limit, as you see those flat lines in those graphs, the next IOs, they don't fail. It's just they're going to take a lot longer. So your latencies increase. Your other applications on that database get impacted. Um, other activity gets affected. So we want to find ways to, to work around this. And so classically, logical and physical replication are the way, way around that. So with logical replication, you need another piece of software running off your database instance. Perhaps in another EC2 instance, you've got Golden Gate, you've got SharePlex installed there. You're managing that instance yourself. You're consuming data out of redo logs. You're shipping it to another database server. We can help you a little bit with that, so uh, we can replace that with AWS Database Migration Service, and so you don't have to manage and upgrade that replication infrastructure yourself. Um, and you know, the, the nice thing about logical repli replication is you get some cool benefits. For example, it could be going to another RDS for Oracle instance. Um, it could be just going to really anything, right? It's some database. It's, it's, um, it could be a Postgres database, MySQL, really can be anything you want. The other nice thing about logical replication is it can be open for read-write access. So, um, you can transform data, you can subset your data, you can choose what, to, what goes over, you can send it to multiple different destinations. But again, the trade-off is that there's a lot of work involved with this, there's a lot of software to maintain and configure. So as an alternative to that, we have physical replication, right? So we can take the middleman out of the, the picture here and we can just have the database using native technologies to go from one side to the other. Um, uh, so that, that's faster, it's less complicated, um, it's less to administer. The challenge here is that it is read-only, um, and it, it, it is going to have to be kind of like-for-like. Like. It's, it's going to an Amazon RDS for Oracle instance. But that's something that a lot of our customers have need for. So earlier this year, we launched Read Replicas. And with Read Replicas, it's fully managed Oracle Active Data Guard experience. You just click a, a few buttons, tell us you want to read replica. We'll restore a snapshot, um, create a new instance from that, set up Data Guard replication, make sure it stays active. If MRP fails, we'll automatically bring it back. You don't have to worry about tuning Data Guard. You don't have to worry about configuring Data Guard. Um, it just runs in the background. This really is for a read scaling use cases here. But the nice thing is you get up to five read replicas. It's running in max performance mode, so you don't get any uh, uh, negative impact on the primary system. Um, these are running in LogWriter async, so they should be pretty close to real time, but they're going to lag a few seconds. Um, but again, you, you can get those read-only workloads running against these. Now, one thing to be aware of is you see they're all chained off the primary. We haven't come up with a, an advanced kind of cascading system here. So if you have a really active primary, perhaps it can't drive five standbys. So you do need to test that and make sure you understand how it's going to perform and what sort of resources are going to be used. So with read replicas, you know, now we have some competing replication technologies. So it's kind of important to understand how they fit in together. So let's say I've got an a, in a RDS instance in, in one availability zone of one region. Its availability is important to my customers, so I need to enable high availability. And, and with that, we still have the multi-AZ multi option. That's synchronous, physical replication. There's automated failover, automated recovery from faults. 
But suppose I also need to read, scale my reads. I need additional read capacity. Well, now you can create an Amazon RDS Oracle read replica. You can create that in the same availability zone or another availability zone. Perhaps the, the read use case this is serving is also important to my customers, so I can also make that read replica high availability with multi-AZ. And that way, if the read replica in, in, encounters any faults, our automation's automatically going to come in, fix those, and bring it back up. Perhaps I have other use cases, so maybe I can create another read replica in the same availability zone as the primary and start fanning those out. So, so it doesn't replace high availability, it kind of dovetails in with multi-AZ, but again, you want to focus on your use case and your, your application requirements, understand what's needed, and, and find the right tool for that. The other nice thing about this is with multi-AZ, it's a fully symmetrical configuration. So suppose my, my, my customer-facing primary read-write instance, I've chosen an R5 8 extra large, I need that capacity. My multi-AZ secondary is going to be exactly the same instance type. You can't even configure that. It's just we're going to pick that for you. The idea is that you fail over. You don't need to fail back. It's a symmetrical configuration. But perhaps my read workload, I need more read capacity, but I don't need a lot more read capacity. So maybe I can make that an R4X, or R5-4X extra large. And again, as long as it can handle the activity coming from your primary, um, you can choose that. Again, with, with its multi-AZ partner, is also going to be a 4 extra large. So it's going to be, it's going to be the same there, but it can be different um, but for read replicas. And perhaps this other read replica that I have, it's not high availability, it's maybe just you know, my, my, my data warehouse or my BI tools or my, my big ad hoc queries that, that um, analysts are running. Maybe I want a, a bigger instance for that. So that can also be, you know, again, whatever instance size you'd like. So some best practices here, you do, you do need to monitor that lag, you need to understand how the, the performance is going across both systems. You need to keep, make, make sure that if you have multiple read replicas, you're not driving too much traffic for those. Um, you can monitor those things. All the, all the data guard views that you're used to looking at, those are all going to work. You can, we, we do publish replica lag to CloudWatch, so you can build your CloudWatch alarms on that. Um, and again, it, it is something that we want you to test carefully and have an idea of, of how these are going to work. Upgrades with read replicas. So, so one of the things that these can facilitate is, is giving you a little bit more, uh, more database coverage during an upgrade. So when you, when you request an upgrade from us, if you request an upgrade on a, on a read replica, that API call is going to fail because we don't allow that. But you, re you request an upgrade for your primary instance. Let's say we're running on version one. Maybe this is the July PSU of 12.2 of, uh, or something. You request an upgrade. We're going to shut down your primary, and we're going to start upgrading it to the new version that you've requested. At this point, your read replicas are still up and running. Your read activity is still connected to them. They're not really getting stale because there's no activity going against that primary. It's down for upgrade. That primary is done with upgrade. We bring it back up. It's now in that second version. Your application can reconnect. Again, we, you don't have the ability to tell us to upgrade your read replicas, but our automation figures out that this is going on. And we're automatically going to start taking your read replicas down in sequence, upgrading them to the new version, and then getting them back into to managed uh, Active Data Guard. And then at some point when those are all done, you now have a fully upgraded family of databases. And the nice thing about that is for applications that you have the ability to manage your connection pools and redirect traffic based on requirements, um, you're going to have you'll have read access to, to, all of your, to something in your database at all times during this process. So when the primary's down, the standbys are available. When the primary's back up, the standbys become unavailable in a cascading fashion. But again, this will require some, some, uh, some uh, coding on your side to make sure that your application pools have the ability to redirect traffic as, as is needed. But it can give you a little bit more coverage and availability during these upgrades. We also support promoting replicas. So this is kind of a nice feature where perhaps if you're seeding uh, dev replication environments or you're seeding other logical replication environments, you want to start with something that's as close to your primary as you can. You can create a read replica, wait for it to get caught up. Then you call our promote read replicate API. We're basically going to take that out of replication. We're going to turn it into a new primary instance. So this can kind of be part of your DR strategy. Um, there will be a few minutes of data loss involved with this, but um, that's something that you can choose to do, and this becomes a new primary. If you want to have it have read replicas now, this isn't switch over, so you'd have to recreate read replicas off of this new primary. But again, there's a few different use cases where that's helpful. Now, if you didn't see it last week, there's a, a flurry of new, new launches right before reInvent. We try and get things uh, out before, we, before we, we get here in Vegas. But uh, we did launch cross-region read replicas last week. So when we came up with a read replica feature in March, it was only available in-region. And now these can be created cross-region as well. So you, again, you can have up to five total. Um, but some of those can be in the same region as the primary instance. Some of them can be in, this, in, the, in different region. And again, you could use these for DR purposes. Call that promote read replica API um, in the event of a fault or in the event of a, something you're testing. 
and we'll automatically uh, make it a new primary. And then again, if you want to have read replicas for that, then you'll need to recreate replicas and chain those back off. So hopefully these are useful for your use cases. Um, important, you know, this is Active Data Guard for a read replica, so that means this is Enterprise Edition, bring your own license with the Active Data Guard um, license on top of that. So for customers that have those licenses, um, this facilitates those use cases nicely. So let's talk a little bit about authentication because this is another pain point for some of our customers. Traditionally with Oracle, most of our applications use password authentication. Most of our users use password authentication. And that has some challenges. As my, as my uh, DBAs and, and engineers join and leave the company, I have to create their accounts. I have to make sure they rotate their passwords every once in a while. I have to drop their accounts. Hopefully, we're, we're life cycling our users properly. You know, when, when DBA uh, leaves the company, um, they, they need to delete all my accounts so I can no longer access the database. Uh, we have to understand some of the authentication parameters. So as we get to newer versions like 18C and 19C, you have to make sure you don't have some of those legacy uh, case insensitive passwords and make sure those parameters are set properly. So there's a little bit of a challenge here. Um, we do have some ways of helping with that. So um, you know, generally, customers already have account management systems in their own on-premises systems. And chances are those work just fine with RDS for Oracle. So if you have a system that connects to the database either on demand or when a user joins your company, um, connects to the database, creates the user, maybe sets their password based on something in a central system. That'll probably work with RDS Oracle. It just needs the, you know, to, the ability to connect to the database. It'll need to create user privilege. It'll need the ability, the ability to grant whatever privileges and roles. But often that just works. We also have AWS Secrets Manager, which does not yet support rotation of passwords with RDS Oracle, but you can just store those in that. And that allows you to use the AWS SDK to retrieve password at runtime, so you don't have to store an application or text files or post-it notes. Um, and we also support the Oracle Secure External Password Store. This is the client wallet that can be stored with your Oracle client, and that way it's stored securely. Um, you still have to lifecycle the password in the database, but you can store it securely at the client side. Um, and then that way your users may not even have to know their password. They, they can just log in with that client. But for, for customers that want to avoid some of this mess, earlier this year, I think this summer, we launched um, support for Kerberos authentication. And this is a Kerberos authentication to an RDS Oracle instance against an AWS directory service AD. So this doesn't allow you to, to authenticate directly to your active directory on premises or on EC2, but we create a, a kind of a, a directory service directory in the middle and that allows the authentication. So kind of how does this process work? First of all, your user, Alice, she, she's gonna log into an EC2 instance perhaps. She's gonna authenticate to, to your corp domain. So perhaps when she, if it's a Windows instance, that just happens when they log in. As a Linux instance, maybe they, you've configured um, Etsy Caraby 5.conf and she, they run K in it. Going to log into the database using slash at TNS alias, and then the database is going to federate that authentication back again to that, that managed directory service, and then if you have an on-prem directory, it's going to go back to that. And that allows that user to log in, and that way, now they, they have to only know the login credential for Active Directory, maybe they logged in that Windows instance, they don't have to worry about your, the, database being, the password being lifecycled inside the database. Uh, th this does require that, that AWS directory service directory in the middle, but we do support cross-account, cross-VPC cross -VPC directory services. So um, if you have a lot of accounts, now you only need one directory service um, to federate that control. So the other nice thing about this is a few years ago, with, as of 11.2, Oracle's rolled out Kerberos from the advanced security options. So this is now available with all versions and editions. We support it for uh, 12C and later for standard edition and 11G for all editions. Um, and so, so all editions and, and versions can use this. Um, you just simply create the user identified externally. Now, this is just the user password. It's authentication. It's not authorization management. So you still have to manage those privileges and roles. Um, but this will help kind of remove that password from the middle. The installation of this is very similar to the S3 integration option. You simply, simply, uh, it's a few steps, but uh, it's, it's kind of a one-time setup. You create the directory service instance and, and federate it back to your on-prem uh, AD if you need to. You create an IAM role that has privileges to access that. You attach that uh, directory to the role, you configure your database users, configure clients, and you authenticate your users. So again, this is all covered in our documentation, but it's just a little bit of one-time setup. And then as you create your users, you just say create user, identified externally at, as a user at domain. And finally, I'm gonna talk about versions and deprecations. When RDS started, RDS for Oracle started about nine years ago, and we had uh, 11.202, 11.203 support. Um, 11.204 is what's been Oracle's kind of longest running major supported release, and that's what a lot of our customers run. We support 12.102, 12.201, and this year we launched support for 18C and 19C. Um, you can kind of, the way I like to think of it is 11.204 is the end of the 11.2 family, 12.102 is the end of the 12.1 family. 
And then you have the 12.2 family, which started with 12.201, ends in 12.203, which is now called 19C based on Oracle's new annual release cycle. All good things must come to an end, though. So um, Oracle is going to end patching for, all, uh, for several of these versions over the next couple of years, and we, sure, we want to make sure that customers know about this. So you're going to start seeing some, some uh, communication from us. We want to give customers as much notice as they can but you're going to need to start getting off some of these versions. And the way we look at this is, and the authoritative uh, kind of dates for this come from the My Oracle support note mentioned here. The way we look at this is as long as Oracle is providing patch support and critical patch updates for a major version, we're going to make that version available to our customers. Perhaps customers need to have extended support to use that, but we're going to make it available. When Oracle withdraws that patch support, if a critical vulnerability comes out, we have no way of fixing that for customers. And that means you have to take a long outage, upgrade a major version. We don't want to put you in that position. So we do require you to be on supported versions. For license included, this is all managed support-wise. For bring your own license, you do need to have support. So it really should be called bring your own license and support. Um, so you do need to have support for these. And that means that versions that have gone in extended support, you either need to have purchased extended support from Oracle, or you need to upgrade to a version that your premier support covers. So the ones that are coming up soon, um, at the end of next year, 11.204 will be deprecated. That's the official date is December 31, 2020. Again, we're going to start sending out communication in the coming weeks that are going to have our specific deprecation dates, but this is the date you should be keeping in mind. So if you're not already off 11.204, um, you should be thinking very, very carefully about getting off early next year. You really don't want to be in a position where you're the straggler at the end of the year where we haven't been able to get in touch with you, we haven't seen you upgrade your instance, and at some point we will force upgrade your instance in a maintenance window. So not a place that you want to be. So definitely get those upgrades going next year, get off these versions. Oracle's recommendation and ours is to go to 19C. This is the, the long-term support release. So 19C is the end of the 12.2 family. You'll note that the 12.201 is also going out of support next year. There is no extended support for that because it's the beginning again of the 12.2 family. So the support path for that is to go to, to 19C. 19C is supported through 2023. And for customers that purchase extended support or use license included, that'll be available through 2026. And again, we chase Oracle's uh, support policy here. So as long as they're producing those PSUs, we'll make that available to you, but you will need to get off those at some point. Let's talk about that upgrade process real quick. So upgrades with RDS are kind of nice. You simply start with some version. In, in, in this case, this is 12.201 with the, uh, the, the July 2019 release updates. You make a modified DB instance call telling us which version you want us to upgrade to. Take your database down automatically. Our automation replaces the Oracle home, runs whatever upgrade scripts we need to, and brings your database back up. This is really nice. It is one of those things that breaks the logjam sometimes that we see with on-premises customers. When they come to us, the DBAs, they, they want their applications to, to upgrade, but the, the application team doesn't have time to test. Maybe the application team wants the database upgraded, but the DBA doesn't have infrastructure resources to go you know, create a copy of production running somewhere and, and, and test that upgrade. With RDS, you simply make an API call. So it's pretty easy to upgrade these. It's easier on DBAs. It's easier on application teams. Well, let's talk about what happens during this process. So you make that, that modify call. Your DBM status now goes into upgrading. Under the covers, we're going to do a few things, and we're going to put your instance status back to available. But it's kind of important to understand what's going on in this process, because the, the outage, um, the, the amount of time that it's an upgrading status and the amount of time that your database is an outage are going to be two different numbers here. So, so let's look at what happens here. So we put our database in upgrade status. We're going to begin our upgrade workflow. We're going to do some prereq checks. So there's th some things that we know to check already. We're going to make sure you have enough space, what we think is enough space for, for your upgrade to take place. There's going to be some redo generated. Maybe Oracle's going to create some indexes based on what, you know, what version you're upgrading from and to. If those fail, we'll automatically bump that back to you and let you know what you need to fix. We'll take a snapshot. Then we'll shut down your instance. We'll start the upgrade scripts, whether that's cat PSU, data patch, cat CTL, whatever that needs to be for that particular upgrade. We'll bring it back up. Take another backup. We'll end that process and put it back in available. Now again, if you're going based on the time that the database is in upgrading status, that window might be a pretty long period. And the real reason for that, um, and, and th that overall window may be a long period, but the actual downtime is really just going to be this part in the middle here where we, we shut your database down, we run those scripts, and we bring it back up. So that part is going to be on order of 5 to 10 minutes for a minor version upgrade, on order of 30 to 60 minutes for a major version upgrade. You can imagine if you have a small instance type that has two vCPUs and a half gig of RAM, you know, it's going to take a long time to upgrade to 12.2. A really beefy instance, smaller database might go up pretty fast. So, but that's the actual window here. And, and the reason that you might be in upgrading longer is going to be this backup. So with, with, um, with RDS, we're based on the Elastic Block Store, and every EBS snapshot is incremental. But if your last snapshot was 23 hours ago, and then you make the modified DB instance call, 
this snapshot is going to take a long time to complete. And if there's a lot of activity in your database, that might take a couple hours. So your database isn't down. You don't need to take your applications down. But the only visibility you have is your DB, uh, the, the DB instance status is going to be upgrading. So if you took your database down, because, your application down because it was an upgrading status, perhaps you're going to be down for a long time that you don't need to be here. So one of the ways you can get around this is by taking a snapshot before you take that upgrade. So maybe an hour or two before you, you plan your upgrade, take another snapshot. What that's going to do is, is going to basically kind of clear out those blocks that have uh, accrued between the, uh, the, the last snapshot you took and now. And now this snapshot that we take is going to go much faster. And that's going to reduce, the, the downtime is still what the downtime is, but it's still going to, it's going to reduce the amount of time that, that the instance is in upgrading status. Also important to test upgrades. This is the other thing that breaks that logjam between the, the DBA and the application team sometimes is um, before I do that upgrade on the primary, the, the, my, my primary production instance, I want to test that. And it's pretty easy to do with RDS again. Because, and the, the thing that makes that happen is that we're taking these snapshots. Again, if you're in automated backups, we're going to take these nightly. Uh, you can also take manual snapshots of your instance anytime you want. And you can call our API, create a new instance as a restore of that snapshot, make the modify call there. We'll do the upgrade. You can see how long that takes. We'll bring the instance up um, and make it available to you. Now you can do your testing. You can check for uh, plan changes, plan flips, make sure your application code is compatible, make sure everything works as expected. And the other nice thing about RDS is, is once you've done that testing, once you've, once you've decided everything is good, you simply delete the instance and stop paying for it. And that brings you back to the beginning of this process where now I've done my testing, my application team has signed off on it, I pick my downtime, I make that upgrade call, and now my primary production instance is upgraded. And of course, I can do this either in the two steps of testing it, um, and instantly this testing process is fully scriptable. You can write a shell script that does this, you can write an AWS Lambda that does this. It's fully automatable, um, you could do this every night if you want. Um, but you can have this, this process kicked off automatically, and that way the application team now doesn't have to you know, wait on the DBA. The DBA comes up and says, hey, I've got an upgraded copy of, of production ready for you to test. You've got a week. Let me, know how the let me know how the testing goes. And again, you can also do this in the three steps by doing that testing first. Take that snapshot an hour or so before you do the upgrade, and then do the upgrade. And then lastly, the, the, the other new feature that we launched this year is the auto miner version upgrade flag. It's kind of, kind of funny because uh, we've had that flag for a long time, but actually it didn't do anything before. Um, so this year we, we made the flag do something. And what this does is when you check this flag, when uh, each quarter we're going to come out with a new release trailing Oracle's critical patch updates. Uh, it'll, we'll, we'll release that to our customers as quickly as we can. It usually takes us a month or two to get that built and out to customers. Um, we'll release that. You can, you can upgrade instances to it if you want. Once it's been out for about a month, We'll just make it an automatic upgrade for anyone who's enabled this flag. Um, and that way, maybe your dev and test instances, you can enable this, and they automatically get upgraded, and then that upgrade just happens, and then you can, then you can do, uh, continue to do your testing from there. It, it is kind of important to know that, that we don't know what your workloads are. We don't know what your instances are. Everything to us looks like a production instance. So there's no way to chain this together yet. You can't, can't say, I want my, these instances upgraded first. But um, generally, I would check this on the dev test instances. I would not check this on my production instances and, and make production a little bit more deliberate. Other important thing to know is that this flag is required, and therefore running the latest PSU is required if you install JVM options in your database. So that's the, uh, the JVM option, spatial, multimedia, or really anything that, that requires that JVM option to be installed. And when you install those options, we're going to require you to check, select this flag, and you can't unselect it. And really the reason for that is that each quarter when the CPU comes out, Oracle publishes the CVEs for what's dangerous and broken in the instance and what they're going to patch, the security updates. And at the top of that list, you're going to see CVE 9.4, 9.8, 9.6. It's always going to be JVM. So we've made the decision that if customers are, uh, decide to have JVM installed in their instance, it's going to have to be upgraded each quarter. Um, just because we don't want customers to be in that position again where they have security vulnerabilities that are affecting them and putting them at that risk. These are, these are optional. You don't have to install these. I would recommend you don't install these unless you need to. So if you, if you know that your application requires Oracle Spatial and you've got that license, by all means install this. But otherwise, um, you know, leave those, those, those options out and that way you don't have to worry about this. So those are a quick look at uh, four new features that we launched um, and, and the use cases they're associated with. Now I'm going to turn it over to Kathy who's going to walk you through some, uh, some uh, performance monitoring and, and, and analysis tools we have. Thank you. Hi, everybody. You can hear me okay, correct? All right, great. <clears throat> so let's go ahead, monitoring performance, right? One of the biggest things that we do. 
I would say that this is also one of the biggest questions I get as a solution architect. The first thing, and kind of a misnomer, is that, well, I can't do things the same if I go to Oracle RDS. I don't have Sys or I don't have System. I can't load agents. I can't do things the same. And I'm here to tell you that, for the most part, that's not true. So we're looking at this here. This is what I normally would run. I'd run my ASH, right? <clears throat> I'd run my AWR reports probably much more often. This, of course, is only if you have Enterprise Edition. So Enterprise Edition is going to use AWR. I can still do that in Oracle RDS, and I'll show you a little bit around that. The other thing that we have is Oracle Stats Pack. So if you have Standard Edition and you're running that on-premise, then you probably use Stats Pack. You may use another monitoring tool. But we can certainly run Stats Pack within Oracle RDS if you just have Standard Edition and you don't, aren't paying for those AWR reports. Custom tool and packages, well, as long as they don't need a client, which a lot of tools don't anymore, you just need a SQL connection into the database, you can still use those tools and, and packages that you have been using to do performance tuning. So that's a little bit of a misnomer that you can't necessarily use those. And then also I'll go into and give you a little bit of a demo on Performance Insights. How many people by show of hands have used or seen Performance Insights before? So a couple, but not everybody. So we'll go into that and I'll show you about um, Performance Insights. All right. <clears throat> when you kind of flip over to RDS, and you'll see me talk about this, some of the things are what's most popular that we see is the Oracle AWR report, CloudWatch metrics, and then enhanced monitoring. All right, so let's go over that a little bit more. So CloudWatch. The way that I look at this, and we'll go through step-by-step step when I go through the demo, is that when I was an on-premise DBA, the first thing I always did is I always took the hardware out of the mix because that would save me time, right? Sure, everybody else is the same. I want to check memory. Did the memory card go away in the host? <clears throat> right, I want to check CPU. What's the CPU utilization? I want to check and also alarm on those because that's going to obviously affect all of the performance in the database, but also make it fastest so that I can resolve it. All right, so I also do alarming on that. The next step in Oracle that kind of follow, um, in Oracle RDS that follows those steps is enhanced monitoring. So if I'm on premise, I'm going to keep that kind of top or NMON or however you're going to look at those um, hardware notifications. <clears throat> and I'm going to look for that number one process. Right? Is there a couple processes that's taking all of those utilization? It's taking all of those resources? And that's what we can do with enhanced monitoring. So I still have those tools that I can look at and follow those processes. And then third, the next thing, okay, I've taken all of that out of the mix. There's not one big process that I can see. The next place I'm going to go for performance tuning is I'm going to look at weight events. Right? What's going on with the weight event CPU? What's going on? Is there any locking? Is there scattered read? Is there sequential file read, right? What am I going to look at? And so a lot of people use tools for this. We also have a tool called Performance Insights. And so let's go ahead and get into that, and I'll show you kind of that process that I just spoke to, as well as um, a new feature that has just been announced in Performance Insights about a month ago, okay? <clears throat> Oops, going way too far. All right, uh, my computer did lock, so before I show you, let me get on my computer. All righty, there we go. Okay, yay. Love it when demos work so far. All right, so what we're looking at here is this is our console, right? When I first log in, so what's happened to me is something that always happens User comes to me, it's slow. Or maybe it's been slower. It was slow 10 minutes ago, right? That's just what you get usually. So I'm going to log in. In this case, I'm going to go to my console. And I'm going to say, all right, this is my particular database that people are complaining about, TestDB. One of the first things you notice, this is actually um, in our console that I'm looking at. <clears throat> so I'm looking at performance insights here. See where that red is? That makes me think, ah, oh, something is going on. But again, I don't want to start with performance insights. I want to start and make sure that everything else, else is taken out of the mix. Whoops. And they're both on performance insights. So I will show you how to get to that. <laughs> so if I come over here to my database in my console, I'm going to go to RDS. Go to my database instances. 
And there's, there by the way, Michael mentioned about the certificates. If you haven't gone into your console, that's what that's telling me up at the top, if you're wondering. It's telling me I need to upgrade those certificates. So there's kind of a real life shot of that. All right, let's go into my test DBA. I apologize if you hear that, I've got a cough drop. <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't, my voice be gone. Okay, so first place that I go to is I'm gonna go to monitoring. All right, so I can see what's happening over a particular time. This here is over the last hour, I can change that. So if I wanna look at the last three days, I can certainly do that. You can also look at these metrics in CloudWatch and alarm off of them and create alarms in CloudWatch. So that would take us a lot more time. I just wanna show you how it is in the console, but know that that is something that you can do to set up that alarming, okay? So we can see I've got kind of spiky. That's over the last three days. Let's go back to just the last hour. If I click it right, and then click on CPU. So it's definitely spiky, but it's nothing that really concerns me, right? Yeah, there's something that happened during that 10, uh, 210 to 215 period. So maybe that has something to do with what's going on. It gives me a place to start for my users, but I can't really finish. I can't tell what's going on with that. So let's go ahead and close CPU. Again, we could do the same with what connections are there, what you know, storage, all of that that's happening. One of the things I also do wanna show you though, is that here you can see what my configuration is. So obviously, if I have my own databases, I know what that is. But so you know on this demo that we've got two vCPU and four gig of RAM, pretty small box, right? So it's a T3 medium. That dang developer putting a T3 medium in production, right? Something I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Okay, so let's go ahead. The next place that I would look other than monitoring, looking through all of this and seeing that it is okay, is now I'm gonna go over to that performance insights. Okay, so let's go, I think I had these backwards before, but that's okay. So I can show you performance insights, right? So you saw it on the left-hand side here, I can see the databases that I have it turned on. If you don't have performance turned on, I really recommend it, but it will require a bounce. So just to let you know on that, especially in production. So when I come up to performance insights, I would think that this is pretty familiar right and that's good because it gives me a way to be able to look in the system even if i just have you know se it's going to work with ee it's going to work with the different databases we have so if you're just starting to learn maybe you've got a couple databases mysql and postgres you're going to be able to see the same performance insight screen right so it helps you out with that the first place that i look when i'm looking performance insights or any kind of performance tools you can see my top weight here so if I click on this, it will just isolate what's going on in the system, right? Just like the other ones if you're used to it, okay? But I wanna look at my weights and see if there's anything that's going a little crazy, right? Do I have any locking that's happening? I certainly have a lot of performance that happened. Again, look at my line here. We're talking about different sessions and different CPU and what my baseline normally would be. It's a lot higher than what I'm expecting, right, when I look at it. So I can look at the different weight events. Obviously, sequential read, well, that's good that it's doing, you know, a lot of sequential reading. But, you know, do I have anything that's going on maybe with locking, anything like that? So at this particular time, I don't, at least not in the last hour. Um, so I can look and see what's happening in five minutes, right? I can get down on that granularity. When you set up performance insights, you certainly can change this, but when you first set it up, it will ask you for the level of granularity. Okay, do you want 60 seconds? Do you want a second? All right. The other things that happen with this is I can say, well, if I know that everybody's gonna get slow around a particular type, there are APIs for um, performance insights that go to cloud metrics or CloudWatch metrics. It's not everything yet, but there are some KPIs that you can alert on from performance insights, okay? So that's something that's important too as we look at it. So again, I'm looking, nothing that, like there's not locking that I'm seeing, nothing to be concerned about. So the next thing I can do is I can see the individual SQL. Now know that I can see my SQL, but if you call me or I come in um, to your location, 
I, I can look and see how, in, at times, how your host is performing, but I can't see your SQL. There's no way that I'm going to be able to see this. So it's something that when you have this, you can see the SQL, but it's not something that I can see when I'm looking. So just to let you know if everybody sees up the, the SQL and went, oh my gosh, you can see what we're doing. So what I can see here is I have a lot of different SQL here that are running that are very familiar. I even have things, you know, inserts and selects that are happening that are off similar tables. All right. So you can see when I look at this particular, oops, I went back and forth really quickly. Okay, how much is going on with this? How much the fact that there's reading by other sessions? Maybe that's my problem, right? That I'm having to wait to read off of another session that's happening. And the fact that I've kicked it off twice, well, why am I running it both times? So you can see when I click on that, it's going to give me more information and more details around what's happening. Here's my insert. I can copy it. I can download it. But I can also go up here and say, who is my user who kicked that off? Okay. So I can find out that, yeah, there's, although there's processes that are being done in the database, a good portion of this that's being run is being run by HR. So I can go and talk to that developer and say, hey, what are you doing with this? Why are you kicking off you know, similar, the same things of eight different processes that are running on my system? Okay. So the process that we went through, and you can see I kind of, you can go through hosts and all of that and different things that you can in products. Um, we have executions now in here, and that's one of the new features that I can see how many times an individual SQL statement is executed. So if it's executed eight times the same one, then maybe I'm going to say, why are you running that 150 million row insert eight times all at the same time? Because you're giving a demo, that's why. <laughs> right. So um, it allows me to be able to see that. So what this allows us to do is gives us those performance that I can still go in and look. I can still use the tools that I have. One more, although we don't have a lot of time to show, I do like to at least point out. We have a document that talks about common DBA tasks when you're talking about Oracle RDS. So it's not just performance. It's for all the different tasks. If you haven't looked at this, I'd recommend it because it really lays out certain things you're used to doing that you can do on Oracle RDS. One of them that I have highlighted up there is that AWR report because, again, it's something that I get. So it is something you just turn on a parameter. You run the SQL that's normally at the, at the host level. I just get that SQL from somewhere else. It's all over the place. I run it, and then I can run this DBMS workload repository package. It's in the database. That's not an AWS. That's just a DBS, DBMS package. And then I'm running those AWR reports that I'm used to running. OK? All right, great. So what time do I have? All right, so <clears throat> there we go. That's, oh, sorry. OK. So there, I just showed you one area that has documentation. We have a lot of other places that have documentation. There's videos. You can see old reInvent videos if you would like to do that. You can see different things as well as come in and have training. All right, so there's a lot of different ways that you can learn about this and learn about the new features that we have going on in the system. I also like to point out, and I'm really glad that I put this in here because somebody said, oh my gosh, that one link that you had down there was perfect for me. That's what I wanted. So there's some more information that you can look at, take a picture of, that will tell me that DBM, that responsibilities is a real good one, again, to look at, to tell you how you look at things versus on-premise or even EC2 and compare those to what you would do for Oracle RDS. Okay. Um, this is a silent disco, obviously. We're going to be up here for questions. After a while, we'll probably go just outside. But um, that's, unless you have anything else to say, that is the end of our presentation. Thank you.